Hi, my name's Tara Humphrey and welcome back to the Business of Healthcare podcast, where I will be sharing interviews and insights from the field of healthcare. The Business of Healthcare podcast is brought to you by THC Primary Care, where we provide operations and project management to primary care networks. If you are a clinical director or a practice manager and your to-do list is growing by the minute and you could do with an extra pair of hands to support you to roll out your network-based contracts and projects, I would love to help you. We also provide consultancy and coaching advice to healthcare business owners and clinical leads looking to take the next step in their career or their business. Come and check us out at www.thcprimarycare.co.uk. Hi, and welcome back to the Business of Healthcare podcast. I hope you guys are doing well. So in this episode, I am talking with the co-founder and CEO, Matthew Cleveley. So 10 to 8 specialize in appointment scheduling. They work across multiple industries, but the reason why I wanted Matt to come on is because he works a lot within the NHS. And at the time of recording, one of my clients uses 10 to 8. So as with all of our interviews, we touch upon what 10 to 8 does, what they consider to be their unique selling points. We talk about the importance of niche and how niche do you think one should go. We talk about how they are developing their team and creating that hybrid model of working in the office and allowing people to work from home. I did unexpectedly put Matt in the hot seat and asked him around what he considered were his areas for development when thinking about his leadership skills. And we talked about how they win business. And we also talked about balancing positivity with the reality. It was, I loved it. I always love them, obviously. I really, really, really enjoyed it. And I know you will too. Let me know what you think and I'll see you in the next episode. Um, Hi, Matt. Thank you so much for joining me today on the Business of Healthcare podcast. How are you doing? Hello. Great to be here. I'm doing really well. So we got connected. Your marketing team, I must admit, they're fab. They were so good in making this happen. So I really do appreciate it. There are a wonderful bunch of people doing doing really cool things. Yeah, they're great. Yeah. So could you share with our audience a little bit about who you are and what you do today? So 10 to 8 is an appointment scheduling system built around the idea that we, we get people together in the right place at the right time with almost no faff, with no no admin, nothing like that. And we just um, get people together. And it, it's a system based around communications. Really organized people might have perfect diaries and are always at the right place at the right time. But the reality is that people need talking to, or you, know, you need to speak to someone to remind someone where to be and when. And you have to do that if you're, you know, if you're a, an organization with bookings, um, then you need to do that in a way that works for your customers. So you can't just say, right, we're only going to send you an email. We're only going to send you a text message. You need to make it accessible. And that's what 10 to 8 does. It makes the scheduling accessible to all customers. For anyone who has a business 
or organisation that schedules appointments. And who are you? Uh, I'm Matthew. I'm one of the founders of 10 to 8. Yeah, I've got a background. I think I originally studied engineering at university way back when, then economics. And then I started doing a PhD in entrepreneurship and I left to start 10 to 8. All the while, I've kind of always worked with startups and um, people working in technology. So, you know, every summer job I ever had was kind of picking a picking picking a company on the science local science park and writing to them and asking, leading them for a job. And so I've always been kind of really passionate about technology and its application and how you kind of bring you know interesting new technologies or useful new technologies and make them available to everyone. And when you so, so your PhD in entrepreneurship, what did you study? What did you explore? What was your thesis on? Slightly um, tautologically, we were, uh, well, yeah, it was looking at how government regulations can affect entrepreneurship. So really, it, it's how do you as a government change the environment in which people behave, in which people start businesses and become entrepreneurs and become successful entrepreneurs to, to encourage that process. And lots of that actually came down to how do you measure entrepreneurship in the first place and try and characterize entrepreneurship in different countries, which is a very, very interesting problem in itself. Wow. So where you mentioned at the beginning, 10 to 8 does scheduling with almost no faff. Yes, you still have to press a button or two. Okay, so that's the faff. Tap a tap screen, that's a faff. I mean, 10 to 8, we, we originally founded 10 to 8, really, when we were talking to, to me and a friend of mine, we were chatting to a dentist who had a problem and his problem was that he wanted his customers to be super organized and he was um you know he was kind of occasionally he'd be in until seven or eight in the evening kind of dealing with customers who had turned up late or because he'd have a big queue or he'd be sitting there with an empty chair and we went in and we we looked at what was going on and we realized that what was actually happening talking to his administrative staff was that every single booking that was being made on average was losing the practice about 10 minutes of time in terms of, you know, scheduling customers ringing up, asking when they were going to be booked, rescheduling things, people forgetting appointments. And it all adds up to about 10 minutes of wasted time. So the idea of this kind of minimal faff or, you know, is that we take that 10 minutes and we turn it into eight seconds. So we take 10 minutes of faff and it's eight seconds of simplicity. Walk us through it. I've got an organization. I have got patients um, that need an appointment. I've just got the 10 to 8 system. How does it work? It's really simple. So, I mean, you set it up. You Firstly, depending on the size of your organization, if you're talking about a million appointments a month, you're going to be talking to our team about integrations. If you're you know, a few hundred appointments a month, you're probably setting it up yourself. But either way, it's a very simple process. Um, really, you open it up. You describe your business. You describe the appointments you're going to have. You can enter your, your customer information. And then you can just literally start booking. So you can open up your diary externally so your customers or your clients can book with you. Or you can start sending out messages saying, you know, please book with me here um, using the 10 to 8 system. And we'll just start talking to your customers for you and they'll just start booking it. And then after that, what happens is we will very simply remind people where to be and when but in a way that you can see exactly what's going on. So in 10 to 8, we we feel very strongly that every booking is a conversation. So it was our first observation, really, when looking at how how dental practices worked, was that whenever there was a problem, they picked up the phone to the customer. And we realized that that was really fundamental to scheduling, was that you have to be able to talk to the customer and be transparent. So 
if you like, if you're using 10 to 8 and you've got it in front of you and you've got a calendar in front of you and you're running your business, every booking you click on loads up a little chat window. And that will be a record of every message sent about the booking and every message received back from the customer. So the customer can talk and it can go over text message, email, voice or robo voice and, and lots of other channels as well. And it's all gathered together in the same place. So you know exactly what's going on. And at the same time, everything's just being taken care of. So who are you currently working with in the healthcare space? In the UK, we've got multiple NHS partners. And we've got, I think we've made a real difference, especially in the last kind of 18 months in phlebotomy. I think that's that's something we're all quite quite proud of. We've also kind of, I think, made some really interesting and really helpful changes in the way care homes function in the US and the UK. And I think those are that we use just a bit of context because we, we kind of add this value. We make appointments happen and, you know, reducing no shows from, you know, 10% down to 1%, you know, which is brilliant and kind of eliminating all of this admin headache. We use, it means we're used by lots of people all over the world. So it's not just um, the NHS, it, it can be banks, you know, in the US or, you know, a piano tuner or something. Anyone can pick this up and start using it. But yeah, in, in the UK, I think the things we're particularly proud of over the last 18 months are, are some of the stuff in the NHS in phlebotomy, especially where there's been so much disruption from COVID and we've been able to take huge backlogs of unbooked appointments and get them booked in quickly and efficiently with, with almost no human input. So that kind of brings me on to outside influences. So at the time of recording, so my client uses 10 to 8 for their phlebotomy, but because of the bottle shortages, that service has been cancelled. So how does that impact your contracts with your clients? Because that is, was to a degree unforeseen. Your clients would have purchased you. Is it per month? Is it per... How does that... Well. Every contract's different, but there's generally there's a there's a fixed amount and there's a, a kind of variable amount. And we, we tend to be very competitively priced. But I'd say that actually in the, the recent issues with supply of lobotomy materials, we've been quite helpful. So anyone who's had to cancel appointments recently who's been using 10 to 8 has we've been in contact with them and helped them en masse cancel and rearrange appointments at the same time as maintaining capacity for urgent appointments. So it's actually something we where we've actually added, even though there, you know, there's not very many bookings going on right now, it's an area where we've added quite a lot of help, where we've been able to help quite a lot, where we've been able to reach out to customers automatically, tell them that unfortunately their, their, their appointments have been cancelled and giving them the opportunity to rebook um, in future days, but also maintaining capacity for urgent appointments which has been really obviously important for, for health. So how do you win your business? In healthcare, I think a lot of it comes from referrals. We have very, very happy customers. And I think a lot of it comes from, you know, not only the systems we've put in place, but also some of the, the data and analytics. And, you know, once you start using it, the insights that we can provide. And yeah, so, so lots of that comes from referrals. We do a good amount of digital marketing as well. We attend events, you know, get the word out there. As you know, you've met our wonderful marketing team. Most of our getting new clients, certainly in healthcare, is really about talking talking about our existing customers, how they're using us and how they found success and trying to share that. So your niche is scheduling and appointment booking, but you're not sector specific. So you do work outside the field of healthcare. 
Given your experiences across multiple industries and multiple organizations, how niche should one business go? So that's really interesting. So I think one of the strengths that I found from 10 to 8 about, you know, being used everywhere is that we've learned a lot about how other industries and other sectors think about how they manage things, how they manage their workflows around scheduling and appointments and messaging, and also about security. So I think one of the benefits for us is that actually our product is much more rounded and has a lot more capability to go in and actually match things within it even within an individual sector. Um, having said that, I think mistakes we made as a business early on was to say, hey, this is useful to everyone. Let's make it available to everyone and go after everyone. And that's certainly something that we've changed very deliberately. And yeah, now we're focusing you know, on healthcare in particular. And there's a couple of other segments that we're, we're really focused on where we know we add a lot of value. We've got you know, great customers and some really, really happy and valuable use cases. And you know, we're really focusing on them. So you said that you are competitively priced. What else do you compete on? Why would somebody choose 10 to 8 versus another organisation that does something potentially identical to what you do? I wouldn't say that anyone does anything that is identical to what we do. I think, firstly, there's a, there's a fundamental different philosophy with 10 to 8 that every booking is a conversation and that we make things accessible and we want to act on the you know, in a way that makes appointments and scheduling and booking accessible, fundamentally accessible to the patient, to the client. That means everything from, you know, do you get a text message reminder? Do you, what time do you get it? You know, are you able to make, make a phone call to, to interact with the booking system? You know, so, so telephone booking and things like that, because not everyone, you know, is able to you know, open a website and use that. Is your website accessible, you know, to the highest standards of web accessibility standards? And things like that. So that's one of our focuses is, is really we don't want to dictate how people organize themselves. We want to work with them on their own terms and we want to make, make it accessible and this you know, online booking and these things accessible to everyone. So you, know, you, can, you can make a booking with 10 to 8 by picking up the phone and dialing a landline. You know, and that's really important. I think that accessibility element and that communications element, just for the sheer breadth of use, you know, the other side of that is that we have the flexibility to match any use case or any particular way in which an organization works. So our kind of our features um, are extremely rich from that diversity. And the other one is, is trust in kind of compliance and security is that, you know, we're compliant with all of the kind of relevant UK data standards, a whole host of international standards and US medical standards as well. And that comes from our international footprint and also, you know, from the nature of our customers, you know, from, from governments to banks, you know, to, to healthcare providers, um, it, it's essential. And we roll out that kind of level of security to all of our customers. How important is any sort of personal branding to 10 to 8? So when you say digital marketing, you know, how effective is that to just, you know, to see a graphic, you might see case studies. Now we're, you know, working in, we've got so many clients or we've booked, I don't know, 10 million appointments. How effective is that over people knowing that you are the co-founder or somebody from your, you know, somebody developing a relationship with your marketing team or your sales team? Or is it, does it, does it not matter when you've got a tech, uh, like a product-based business? 
it entirely depends on the sector. You know, we have lots of financial advisors who use 10 to 8 or accountants um, as well. So we have you know, these kinds of professionals using 10 to 8 or even private doctors in the States um, are another good example where they act, they're very small businesses and they don't, they don't get together very often. They don't, you know, they're quite dispersed and actually digital marketing works quite effectively there. Kind of that remote, you know, kind of, you know, they see the logo, they get multiple touch points and they get familiar with us. And that, that kind of works where when it's UK healthcare, you know, even when it's not the NHS, when it is the NHS, it's entirely about, you know, that building, building relationships, I think. And even when that's done through events, it's, it's really, it, it seems to be, more about building relationships than that kind of pure digital marketing element. So you mentioned that you have worked with lots of organisations, you're a co-founder, we had a good chat when before we first met. Are you all in on 10 to 8 or are, have you got your eye and fingers in other things? That's a really interesting question. There's, there's multiple ways of answering it. I think the, the answer is I'm all in on 10 to 8 in that I am in on 10 to 8 to build it to a really successful business and to get it across the world and used by as many people as possible. And it's my, that's, that's my main job. It's my day job. I have my hobbies or I have my other jobs, which is so I'm, I'm also involved in, um, I'm, I think I'm a director of about five or six. <laughs> you say, I think... <laughs> I well, I, I you know, I, 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 I stepped down from one recently. I've, I've, you know, there might be another one that I'm going to jump on board, um, literally. But I, you know, I, I grew up in Cambridge. I grew up working with startups. Uh, I've, I've helped create ten to eight, and it's just another bit of something I love doing. So I'm, you know, I'm always working with with interesting people who are, you know, trying to do other interesting things and trying to help them do that but it's if you like it, it, it I'm talking to them about it I'm advising them it's not my day job yeah okay. um, but it's brilliant and it, it means I learn lots of things and I can take them back to 10 to 8 and change how we do things and make things better what are the factors that make you think I'm going to step down from this now when does your time come to an end with certain partnerships with partnerships or just where you say you're stepping down from oh from a from a thing um that was a not sure how much I can talk about that one. <laughs> um, I think honestly, I, I, whenever I don't know how other people approach jobs or roles or anything, I kind of fundamentally think that you should always be working to try and make yourself redundant. So I've never, never taken a job that I haven't tried to make myself redundant for, either by you know getting other people to do it, uh, making it automated, anything like that. I'm always kind of trying to make myself redundant, and I think that. There's no point staying somewhere or giving someone advice when your advice has already, you know, for example, been taken on board and you've got nothing else to say. It's just that that's, that's a great time to leave. It's always the, looking for a point when you're no longer contributing. Um, and, and that's, the, that's a good thing, I think. I, it's, um, I think people stick around on things for too long a lot of the time. And what do you say? What are the phrases that you use to end that relationship when they think, I love talking to you, uh, Matthew, you know, it's just keep giving me the goods. <laughs> just keep advising me you, you secretly. I'm probably not going to, you know, do half of it, but just keep, <laughs> like keep talking to me. How do you remove yourself on good terms? I, I don't know. I, I guess I'm, I'm quite positive 
I'm usually, I think other people have remarked this recently um, to me, and I've realized that it might be true, which is that I try and stay kind of relentlessly positive, almost, you know, to, so if anything happens, you know, if I I'm stopping working with a business, you know, something goes wrong, anything like that, it, it's more looking at, well, what's next, looking forwards. So I, I'm kind of, I, I never like looking backwards at things, how things could have been different or anything like that. I'm always focused on what's next. You know, if I'm going to move, move on from, from an advisory role, who's going to replace me? That's going to be exciting. It's going to be someone better than me. How is that not exciting? Right. Okay. So, so I think always looking forwards and always looking for the positive aspects of any change is really important. Is everything always positive where you said people have commented that you are relentlessly positive. Is it good to be positive all the time? Is there always a silver lining when it is? It, it depends. It depends on the role, right? So especially my advisory role, right? if you're talking to founders, founders have a miserable time speaking from experience, right? CEO kind of roles are, are if I think if you're doing them right, they're quite miserable because you're on your own. You've got a lot of stress. You've got the whole company riding on your back. You know, or hopefully shared across a couple of co-founders. Um, and it's a really stressful role. And I think as an advisor to anyone doing that, you have to be positive and remind people of the positive side of that. I think if you're in that role, you can be a bit closer to reality, you know, be a bit more focused and closer to reality. But the same thing, you have to remind people why you're why they're doing things. And usually you're doing something for a positive reason. And if you're not, you shouldn't be doing it. So there's always positive sides to things. I just think that there's a kind of there's a there's a gulf sometimes the only difficulty comes when there's a gulf between how people think the world is and how the world really is and when they come together you know they see it as something bad happening and usually i see that as you know you you just discovered something that's reality you know dealing with reality when we first started 10 to 8 we had lots of tensions about what we were going to build next you know which which order do we build features in and things like that and we ended up building this tremendously capable product that was actually quite hard to use. And we had real problems as a company. And the reason was we spent lots of time doing research with customers and then building things and then research with customers and then building things. And we never delivered stuff that customers were using and then focused on that interaction, how are customers really using things? So we never had that dose of reality. So we built up this this big gap, big gulf between how customers were really going to use the software rather than how they were telling us and what the software did and how it was used. And when we had that crunch, it was very painful as a business. Right? And the, the reality is, you know, it was an extremely difficult time for the business, difficult time for me. But the positive side of that is we completely reinvented ourselves. We made the things super easy to use. We put all of the complex stuff under the hood and we made it, you know, accessible to everyone. And we focused really on that, you know, design how something's used. So now instead of, you know, having a process where we might design a feature, implement it, and then test it with people, we, you know, over the course of several months, we go, are we going to deliver this feature this week? Yes. Okay. It's delivered. How are customers using it or how are clients using it? There's a, not the, um, not enterprise or larger customers. So, so there's, there's kind of advanced users of 10 to 8 who test us for us. And then okay. there's the, the stable customers, just in case anyone's terrified there. <laughs> How many um, staff does 10 to 8 have? We're getting up to 30 um, okay. if we fill up our current vacancies. So we're pretty small, but we were, I think, pre-pandemic, we were, we were only 10 or 11, I think. We've grown quite a lot. How, in that time, have you had to let anybody go? 
in that time, have we had to let anyone go? From just pre-pandemic to now, we've lost one person, maybe two. I think one, okay. I mean, one wasn't, well, it wasn't a great fit either way. And how many direct reports do you have? How many direct reports? I have three. Okay. So the way the company runs, right, is that there's two, two founders in the business. There's me, who's CEO, and I kind of look after the external stuff, shareholder relationships, fundraising kind of strategy, that, that kind of stuff, and as well as people. And then we've got Richard, who is hyper-organized, brilliantly focused, absolutely fantastic um, guy to, to co-run a business with. And he's the managing director. And he's also technical brains. So he kind of runs day-to-day operations and has more direct reports than I do. And then I've got the kind of the administrative side, the finance side, the shareholder relationships, fundraising, external bits. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it does make sense. And how often are you communicating with your team? And how are you, are you virtual? Do you have an office? Are all your team in the UK or do you work all over? Well, that, I mean, there's been a lot of change, obviously, over the last couple of years. But pre-pandemic, we were hybrid anyway. So we, I think on average, people were in an office about three days a week. So that was one of the benefits of working with 10 to 8 was, was we were extremely flexible. And then as we've grown and with the pandemic, we've, we've you know, handed back the keys to our office and we've gone fully remote. Um, and now we're working back to a hybrid strategy. So we do a lot and I think we don't do enough. Um, we're always looking for what we can do more, but we do a lot to kind of keep the team together remotely. So we get together every Friday to share what we've worked on that week. Um, we talk every day at 10.10 to talk about what the teams are up to. Um, so that's kind of you know a representative from each team gets together into a meeting and, and all the teams discuss what they're doing for the day. Um, and then on Mondays, there's kind of management um, kind of meetings to make sure we're all focused on the right thing for the week and then within that I try and have a coffee chat with everyone in the company once a month um, and we all have check-ins and things like that and we've we've tried a few things like um you know uh, donut you know, plug in for slack um you know where you kind of get randomly paired up for coffees and things but it kind of that kind of fell by the wayside and I think you need slightly more structured things to, to work properly and then on the last Friday of every month we kind of have a a big virtual company gathering and that will hopefully turn into an in-person company gathering at some point in the near future. And the other thing we're doing, which is quite nice, is that we're trialing is everyone having the right to an office. So the idea is that you know some people work from home fine, some people need to work in an office, and some people need to get out of the house in order to yeah. be productive. And so everyone in 10 has the right to a workspace. And so that can either be near them or with their team. And we kind of, we organize that on a per personal and per, per kind of group basis. So our marketing team has a little office in Cambridge and they're there, you know, probably two days a week. Okay. I love that. When you think of all of the leadership skills that you need to successfully grow a business and run a business, where would you say are like the top three areas for development for you? So I think that... One of the, yes, so it's one of the areas that I could work on, I think, is the organization side of things. So I, you know, I, I'm co-founder, so I, I sit with a very, very organized person, so which gives me a bit of free reign. But I think it, it's that organization, making sure I'm getting things done. So I've got my ideal pad 
um, on which I write notes. And my, my best weeks, my best days, oh, it's write out the things that I'm going to get done. And I cross them off and I get them done. My bad weeks are when I look back on the week and think, oh, I forgot to do the list this week. Do you use Asana? Yes, we do. Yeah, because we had, yeah, we need to have an Asana chat at another time. Oh, we, we're <laughs> always improving the way we do Asana. We switch from Jira. I thought we were using Trello. We were using Jira. We used Asana in the end. It was just, and it's the right fit. And in the end, we've got, yeah, everything's in Asana. And it's it, it's really brilliant because it's yeah, anything. But the, the cool thing we started doing recently is whenever we have um, actions from meetings, right? So things that aren't going to be like tickets in Asana, which are hour long tasks or more, those actions get logged as tickets in Asana in the meetings backlog. So you've got kind of two things to do in Asana. You've got your workflow and you've got yeah. this meetings actions list. And we review those actions and it's brilliant because it actually, it really helps me in terms of, you know, getting stuff done that I say I'm going to get done because there's a nice record of it and I can just go through it and get it done. If I have a spare 10 minutes or something, I'll just go and pick one, and get it done. It's brilliant. And again, that's all Richard coming up with uh, new ways to keep, keep keep us organized and keep us focused. Okay, so number one is around, so you're saying an area for development is around like for you, focus and organization. Yeah. Okay, number two. So I think that one of the things that I could, these are this is a really tricky area. The way in which I communicate, I think sometimes, I think honestly, this used to come up a lot um, when I first started 10 to 8. Hopefully it doesn't come up. I don't think it comes up so much anymore. And this is, I'm trying to make this not sound too, too egotistical, but I'm quite clever and I assume everyone else is. Do you know what? And I would say from speaking with you twice, I, I know exactly what you mean. I think, yeah, I think I know what you mean. So sometimes I can kind of go ahead and kind of, I can lay out tasks and things like that. And, and it can seem completely clear to me. And they're thinking, what? Yeah, it, yeah. <laughs> And I can, I, I'm getting better at spotting that and making sure I kind of do it. But I just, the worst, the thing I hate the most is, is someone who's patron, you know, if you're accidentally patronizing, you know, when you break down a task too much or you're t- talking through and you, you, you know, you chop something down, break something down into really small tasks or anything like that. And you end up being patronizing. And I hate that so much. <laughs> I really don't want to be. So I go, I think I go to the other side. I don't know if you, I don't know if I can recommend it because I'm not sure if it's safe for work, but there's a wonderful cartoon called The Oatmeal. And there's a, there's a nice cartoon there, which is just small differences. And one of the things they're talking, I think maybe it's not in small differences, but it's the difference between kind of doing something creative and non-creative, where if someone tells you to go and write um, a two-page essay, right, that is a nearly impossible task. You're, you're, you know, well, most people will sit there staring at a blank piece of paper. Thinking, but at the same time, if you then tell someone, right, I want you to write about this, this, and this in this way and give you a really constrained thing, then it actually makes that really, you know, suddenly you can write two pages on that. Mm. And, you know, it's, it's one of the, so, cause um, my, um, one of my things, previous things was actually on innovation and regulation. And it's one of the interesting contradictions that increases in regulation always encourage innovation and decreasing regulation always encourages innovation. And you, you can find papers, you know, proving both. And it's because by putting constraints on you limit creativity so people are really focused on where they can innovate and where they can improve yeah that does yeah that makes sense and then if you if you remove constraints then you know people have lots of freedom so they go off exploring so it's it's a different type of yeah Mm. different types of creative processes and how people do things but so it's kind of making sure i'm working to other people's levels um, effectively rather than my own 
And then number three, honestly, I don't know how to put this, but my my own personal fitness and getting exercise, it's actually very, very correlated to how productive I am. I think, it, you know, it's um, when I go through phases of getting regular exercise, eating well, you know, doing all kinds of healthy things, I am much more productive at work. I, you know, it, it, it really makes a huge difference. And I think that would be a big area for, for improvement is actually my consistency around kind of being healthy. I think that's, that's a huge area for improvement for me. We used to, when we had an office, we were six miles, oh, sorry, where, where I live was six miles away from the office. So I had this kind of beautiful cycle along a river for six miles each way every day. And so I was kind of brilliant, losing weight, perfectly you know, perfectly healthy, getting plenty of exercise and, and seeing people every day. Whereas, you know, for the last almost two years, I've been in my attic um, trying to get exercise as and when I kind of got into the wrong routines. But it, it really affects, I think, abilities for kind of creative thought, focused thought and things like that and organisation. What it does for me. So, so then the next question is, so what are you going to do about that? Well, I'm trying. Now school started again, which is great because I, you know, just before this, I was on the school run. We've got a really slow bicycle. It's a tricycle with two, so you can fit two kids in it. And that's really heavy. And that's perfect for getting kind of 20 minutes exercise yeah. um, twice a day. Um, so that's brilliant. I'm trying to do at least half an hour's exercise on a cross trainer every morning. That's my latest thing. I like um, it. And I'm trying, and when I don't do that, I'm trying to kind of virtually cycle to work. So I've got a, an exercise bike as well. So I'm trying to go on my exercise bike yeah. before I start work. Um, and I went through a nice phase of that working. And then it got, I remember when it got really hot a few months ago, that com- it completely fell apart then because I don't, you know, there's no air conditioning in this, you know, and I'm okay. in the attic. So if it gets hot, it gets really hot in the attic. So my, my exercise bike in the attic gets unbearable. Um, so that fell apart. Cool. So I hope your employees have enjoyed that little grilling that I've just given you around your personal development. <laughs> so what is the vision for 10 to 8? What are you working towards? Well, I mean, generally the, the vision for 10 to 8 is to help organise the world. So we, we know that there's, there's millions of people wasting billions of hours basically scheduling scheduling things and i think from when we started you know up until now there's never been kind of a, an organization that we've spoken to when we talked about how they organize certain elements of what they do that they've kind of they've built up these coping strategies rather than solutions i always use cues as the best example of this right so cues if you've got a cue you've failed your scheduling Cues are really interesting examples of where scheduling systems have broken down. People think cues are fine, but really they're not. So the reason you have a queue is because you've got a certain amount of capacity and you want to have it full all the time. So you meet, so, so in order to do that, you kind of you overbook or you queue, which means your customers have to queue, which is a bad experience. The alternative, if you've got people you know, forgetting to turn up to their appointments back in the day, like our dentist, you know, you sit there with an empty chair. So you can either kind of, and you've got this either or situation because, you know, if you're running a dentist practice and say you've got 10 appointments in a day and you've got 10% no-shows, you think, well, okay, so if one in 10 is not going to turn up, I can book 11 people in. And then you end up working late because everyone turns up half the time. 
and then say you book 10 people in so you match capacity exactly and then you know on average you you have these people miss appointments so people introduce things like the queuing system or they they get people to you know if you run a a fancy London restaurant, you're, you're calling up your dinner guests you know, and you've got someone full time ringing up your dinner guests the day beforehand to check that they're going to turn up. And so, but every business, you know, from bank call centers to, you know, to a chiropractor, so have kind of have got these coping strategies for scheduling and there's no need for them. And there's an absolutely enormous world out there of millions of people kind of who could be doing things better who could be scheduling things better and whose customers could be having much better experiences by using kind of you know, scheduling software based around communications, based around talking to people on their terms and being accessible. And so it's taking that technology and bringing it to as many people as possible and as many realms. Thank you so much for joining us. If people want to find out more about 10 to 8, where should they go? Um, they can go to our website, 1028.com. So that's 10to8.com. And they can have a click around and they can always get in contact with us. Cool. Thank you so much. Brilliant. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. If you like what you hear, I would absolutely love it if you left us an iTunes rating and five star review. I know many of you give us a shout out on social media, which is lovely to see you guys listening to the podcast. So please come and find us on Twitter at THC Primary Care, on Instagram at THC Primary Care and on LinkedIn, just look for Tara Humphrey. And if you're not subscribed to our newsletter, please do. It's really, really funny. You get to hear more insights, more confessions, some tips and tools and a roundup of our activity over the week. So click on join the newsletter in the show notes and I will see you in the next episode.